You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. This is your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers, and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. Sponsored by Dext. Make the businesses you advise more productive, profitable, and powerful with better data and insights. It's the Accounting Influencers podcast with a guest of the show who's been on many, many times before. She's definitely a friend of Accounting Influencers as a podcast. It's the Queen of Accounting, Lucy Cohen. Hello to you, Lucy. Hi, Rob Brown, Queen of Accounting. I'll take that. Well, you've got a platform, haven't you? We're going to talk about this a little bit, but there are many accountants out there that are in practice, owning their own firms or working for someone else that desire a stage bigger than they have. They feel they've got a message to put out that they feel they want to affect the profession for the great. It's more than just running a firm and looking after clients. That describes Lucy Cohen, doesn't it? I'd say so, yeah. I think I've mentioned before to you that this kind of platform that I have now is entirely a, a kind of byproduct of just going about doing what I've been doing. It wasn't my primary goal, but I'm very grateful to have it. And I'm very pleased that people still think they want to listen to things I have to say. So that's always delightful. So yes, currently relevant. Let's see how long that lasts. Well, you do see a lot of people out there, Lucy, with accounting influencers that don't have the platform, but think they have. So they do speak about a lot of things and they do have an opinion on everything and they do have a really strong social media profile but when you're digging behind that on where that credibility comes from that authority they haven't necessarily run a successful firm or they've not earned the right to do that they are just an influencer yeah I struggle with the concept of influencing generally Uh, it's a term that when I hear it about myself in the same way that many years ago I used to really battle with the term entrepreneur because I just sort of felt like I was going about doing my thing And I didn't really want to put a label on it. But ultimately, regardless of what you want to call it, you have to have some substance and there has to be a foundation to what you're talking about. Because if you put yourself out there and if you pop your head above the parapet, people are likely to take pot shots. And you need to have something behind you that proves that you've got the expertise, the experience in what you're talking about. Otherwise, aren't you just selling snake oil? If you've not been there, done it, lived it, experienced it, been around, seen things go right and wrong for years at a time, how can you possibly relate to or advise anybody else on how to do things right for for their own firms? I'm thinking of the explosion of reality TV and people that are famous just for being famous. They haven't necessarily done anything, but they've been on a show or on a platform and that's it. Their reputation is made up. Lucy, it's Mental Health Awareness Week. It's a subject that's very close to your heart. Tell us what you've been involved in. So yes, Mental Health Awareness Week is something really close to my heart. I've been very open in the past about my own um, battles with anxiety and where I've suffered with depression. And many you know, a couple of years ago, um, I was a- awarded for doing that, for speaking out in the accounting profession about that. I think in the kind of post-COVID era, we saw a lot of burnout. We saw a lot of very poor mental health and accountants where they took on the burden of their clients. They became unofficial therapists for their, their client bases and they just didn't look after themselves. They didn't put their own oxygen mask on first. And it got a bit better for a while. 
And now I'm seeing the same sort of stresses that we swore we'd not go back into. I'm never going to, it's the same thing, isn't it? I'm never going to have a January like that again. And yet tax season, I'll never have a tax season like that again. And yet we somehow manage not to change things. I'm seeing people in the profession falling back into old habits and I'm hearing personal experiences and people are reaching out to me knowing I suppose I'm a kind of safe pair of hands for this sort of conversation hearing that they're struggling again and the anxiety is there and they're questioning why they're doing what they're doing and they're feeling unappreciated and undervalued and not loving what they're doing anymore and I think that it's very related to your mental health to your ability to look after your mental health and treat your mental health like health like treat your brain like any other part of your body and give it the care and attention and um, nurturing that it deserves so yes I'm seeing a lot of reports from the accounting profession that they're back to a place of, of struggling a bit and that concerns me. And there are reasons for that, which we'll dig into, but let's be vulnerable for a moment. I've gone on the record with my alcoholic father and my stroke and my epilepsy and, and how that's affected me. For people that haven't come across you and your story, what is your mental health backstory? Yeah, so I've always been an anxiety sufferer. I didn't know that it was anxiety. I've always been quite a highly strung individual. Where did uh, that come from? Probably, it's probably a combination of nature and nurture. So you'll have elements of your brain that I think are maybe just wired a certain way, certain types of your personality. I'm very type A. And then you'll have experiences you've had in your childhood um, and growing up, which will have shaped the sort of uh, way that you deal with stressful situations. As I got older, I realized um, that it was anxiety. And when I had a label for it and I understood what it was, I could do some work to finding ways to cope with it. It's a part of me. Um, it's actually a part of me I don't hate because it can make me incredibly productive. It can raise a focus me. It can make me wildly creative for periods of time, as long as I've got a handle on it. If it goes untapped or goes out of control, then I've got a problem. And then I notice myself exhibiting behaviors of obsessing over things or um, not focusing where I should. And that's when I know I need to be quite kind to myself. I need to go, oh, hang on, a bit like if you're out on a run or whatever it is you're doing, some days you're stronger than others. Some days you can run faster or further than others. It's just one of those things. And on those days where that happens, you just go, okay, today's not the day. And I've just learned to do the same thing with um, with my with my mind. And then a couple of years ago, I was very ill. Uh, out of nowhere, had arterial blood clots and been left with um, damage in my legs because of that. Prior to that, I was a, a GB athlete uh, in powerlifting. So quite a shock to have a body that was very strong, to suddenly have a body that you had no control over. And obviously that had an effect on my mental health, learning how to deal with that, running the full gambit of when it first happened, just completely ignoring it, just powering through. That's all right. Doesn't matter. It's fine. I'm just going to carry on and hurled myself into work in a way to have something that I could control. So because I was out of control of my body, I hurled myself into work and, and doing things that I believed in and crusading for certain causes because that was something I could control. And as I've kind of come out of that and I've accepted it and I've worked on it, I realized maybe that wasn't the most healthy way of dealing with it, but it was my way of dealing with it and it worked for me at that time. And yeah, so with that goes all kinds of things. There's the anxiety of will it happen again in the future? The fact that medically they have no idea why it happened. There's no reason for it. It's just one of those random things that happens to, to you. Um, and you know, there's an understandable element of depression with, with that and grief over 
what I used to have versus what I have now and how that feels going forward in my life. So, but then also gratitude, it could have been so much worse. I could literally not be here. And so I'm very grateful that it clearly just wasn't my time to go. And I obviously got stuff I need to keep doing. So that's a whole jumble of mental health things mixed up in there that I've unpicked over the last couple of years. And I'll probably be unpicking for the rest of my life. But I recognize some of those traits in my fellow professionals when I look at the way they deal with their client bases, their workloads, their staffing, their resourcing. And I think that if you don't become very self-aware about these things, if you don't keep yourself checked, and if you don't check in with yourself regularly, you run the risk of burnout, anxiety, depression, all that stuff, which once you're down that rabbit hole takes a lot longer to come out of than if you'd taken some preventative action. Thank you for your honesty there. If we look at accountants as a breed, we don't want to put them in a box, but you are one. I'm a part qualified accountant and a former high school math teacher. Attention to detail, very risk averse, not particularly introspective, super technically smart, socially perhaps a little bit awkward, not life and soul of the party generally, but they are super driven, very difficult exams. When you put all of that in the mix and and not particularly expressive and articulate in being able to put emotions into words, it is a recipe for mental health issues. Oh, massively so. When you look at the, the, like you said, the personality types, that attention to detail, and importantly, kind of at the at the root of everything accountancy, things having to balance and be correct, and then controlling things, having control of that. That's a huge issue, I think, in, in, in how it can affect your mental health, because ultimately in life, you can't control everything. And so if you come from a place of wanting to control everything, and then you can't, that's almost guaranteed to give you some challenges when it comes to accepting the things that you can't control. What has changed in the workplace for accountants? Because we've had a guy called Andy Zolkeld Zolkeld on our show, former top four accountant, and talked about how he tried to take his own life because he was part of a culture where you couldn't admit that you were weak. You couldn't admit that you were struggling and that you were coping. There was a jacket over the chair culture of how early could you get here and how long could you stay? And there was no vulnerability. But now we find ourselves in Mental Health Awareness Week, and it's much more on point to talk about well-being and work-life balance and mental resilience in the accounting profession. So as a as an industry, as a sector, we've come a long way, haven't we? We definitely have. I'd like to think that I've been a part of that. I think that my, like you said, I have this kind of um, unintended platform. You made it more acceptable, Lucy, to talk about it. Yeah, I think as well, it's seeing somebody, I'm not saying I'm the most successful person in the world, but I've achieved a, I've achieved some things. And seeing somebody who's you might look at and go, wow, they've got all that, they've got it together. And then when that person says, actually, I really struggle with this, or I really struggle with that, or I was really depressed for this year, and I ended up having to take medication for it that just so it just suddenly becomes relatable and it makes everybody very human and the first time I wrote about it I had literally hundreds of people messaging me people I've never met before people I've known for years who I never would have known had any mental health issues messaging me telling me I can't believe that you suffer with this too I've been suffering for 10 years I've had this issue I've you really dark things and suddenly these floodgates opened and I had all these people and that's a privilege that people trusted me with that information they felt they could but I hope that I've been a part of the change in being able to talk about that and accepting that it's not a weakness. It's just part of being human. And um, 
and if you accept all the you accept all the highs of being human, you also have to accept the lows because you don't get one without the other. One thing you mentioned earlier, you glanced off it, but it was an important part for me in my journey, was the diagnosis of anxiety. I went through a series of, I used to get migraines since I was a kid, but uh, when I hit 50, I, I was getting migraines every day for months and we didn't know what was going on. When I finally got a diagnosis that I'd had some bleeds in the brain, it was such a relief to me. It was such almost euphoria that I finally knew what had been causing this because we tried diet and cutting out sugar and screens and was our stress. And you've been through the whole diagnosis thing and all the scans, but it wasn't enough. Once I found out what it was, I was almost laughing to say, right, what can we do about it now? Yeah. And when you put up posts like you do, where people can say, ah, I can relate to that. That's what I've got. That's what I'm going through. There's a lot of liberation in that. Definitely. And I think, you know, that there's a power in knowing what it is, whether it's good or bad. You know, I'd always rather have, sometimes you don't want the bad news, but at least if you know what it is, dealing with the unknown, your brain, especially if you are an anxiety sufferer, I'm a catastrophizer. So my brain will go from a minor infraction to the worst thing in the world can happen at 100 miles an hour and I've not stopped, whoop, straight to the worst possible thing that could happen. So I, I have a tendency to catastrophize things. And um, when I'm in periods that where I'm feeling more anxious, I notice myself do it more. But once you know that about yourself and you ha- you know what it is, you can you can take steps to do something about it. You can explore whether medication is right for you. You can explore grounding techniques. You can do talking therapy, whatever it is that's going to work for you, meditation, wh- whatever floats your boat. You can do something about it. I think that it's the unknown, which is the scariest part. And if you are somebody who you have has periods of poor mental health, for me, that unknown is the worst part. I would much rather know something and deal with that, no matter how bad it is. I remember a therapist saying to me once when I was going through a particularly bad time, um, she said to me, she said, I'm going to put it this way. There's nothing in your life so far that you have not survived. I was like, that's a really good point. She's like, so why on earth are you sitting here thinking that the next thing that comes along, you won't be able to cope, for it, cope with? She's like, you will. So far, you always have. And you will find a way. And there's something quite reassuring in that. Um, and I think reframing that in that, you know, I'm I'm strong and I'm capable enough that no matter what the world throws at me, I will be able to cope with it. But also, I think accountants particularly are quite bad at asking for help and you know, quite stubborn, uh, want to kind of struggle along on our own. And sometimes along with kind of admitting mental health issues, admitting that you need help can be seen as a weakness. But actually, if you can't deal with the situation yourself, you've probably got a community of people where if you did reach out and go, please help me, I'm struggling, they would. And we forget that in our darkest moments. We forget that there are people around us. And it's important to remember that. There's another thing that accountants struggle with, which is saying no, which brings us on to another driver for stress in the life of an accountant. You've spoken already about busy season and tax season. We could throw into that dealing with the avalanche of technology and trying to stay up to date with that, the new tax regulations and staying professionally compliant. Add to that more demanding clients, more rigorous work hours or more demanding hybrid work environments. But once we throw the event season into that, which we're in full flow of right now, there's been a slurry of events here in the UK, certainly in the US as well. We want to be seen to be networking, to be attending, to building our personal brand, to staying informed. Stuff like that is really difficult to say no to, particularly if you do want that platform, you do want to be more influential, you do want more of a voice. 
Talk to us a little bit about that environment because you're right in the middle. Of- yeah, you're also speaking to somebody who apparently cannot say, can't say no to anything if someone asks me to do it. I'm like, yeah, great, I'll do it. The answer is yes. What's the question? You literally, that's me. Um, and I think, and it's not, it's not even because I'm a people pleaser. It's because I get overexcited. So I get genuinely overexcited. People pitch me panels or do you want to do a talk about this? Or we'd love you to write an article about this. And I get really excited and, and massively enthused about the idea, like a six-year-old child, and I can't wait to get stuck in. And then I end up overcommitting myself. Um, so yeah, this is, you are talking to somebody who is very much guilty of saying yes to all the things. Um, it's hard. I find I say yes to things a lot because I genuinely enjoy it. I get a buzz out of it. It's I find it interesting. I've said to you before, I'm a naturally curious person. So the more questions I get to ask and the more things I get to research and talk about, the happier I am. But there has to be a point where you try and protect your own mental health and, you know, your peace, protect your peace a little bit. It's actually impossible to do everything. If I had said yes to, to every single thing that I was asked to do at, say, Accountex a couple of weeks ago, I would have had to have cloned myself or had some sort of hologram version, which, I let's, let, don't get me wrong, I don't hate the idea of a hologram version myself. I think that's quite cool. But uh, for the face-to-face in-person stuff, it's got to be me there. And I had to you know, select the things I was going to do each day. And I hear from accountants who've set up their firms and maybe they're a couple of years in and maybe they've done something a bit different or they've spoken about something. You People are identifying them as new talent and they're getting asked to do stuff a lot. And I spoke to um, someone uh, a little while back and they said, this is great. I'm getting all this exposure. I'm doing all this stuff. I was like, that's wonderful. How do you feel about it? And they just said, I'm exhausted. I was like, okay, well, and how do you feel about the fact that you're exhausted by this stuff? Is this stuff moving the needle for you? Is it growing your firm? Is it making you happier? Is it giving you better work-life balance? And they just said, no, not really. It's great exposure. I'm like, yeah, but exposure to who and for what? And they just sort of looked at me. I was like, it's, and the problem is, is when you start getting asked to do stuff, you feel like you then have to say yes in case somebody else gets the gig instead of you. And to that, I- ask you again. Oh, they don't ask you again. And to that, I'd say they will ask you again. And it's okay to already have a prior appointment or not be able to do it. I actually, despite the fact I said I say yes to too many things, I say no to stuff all the time because I literally can't do everything. Um, And that's fine. And you don't need to be scared of that because sometimes it's just not the right thing. But I think there's this FOMO, this fear of missing out. I think we have it with going to events. I think we have it with saying yes to panels or creating content. And we fear that we suddenly, if we don't go to the party or we don't go to the event, that suddenly in 24 hours everyone will have forgotten us and it's not true it's just not true so yeah I think there's a lot of work to be done um, within the profession of people learning how to protect their peace how to say no and learning that no is a complete sentence you can just say no to stuff because you don't want to you you don't owe anybody an explanation for that and you will still be asked back don't worry they will still invite you again how do you go about prioritizing what moves the needle Lucy for us at Mazuma it's really really simple does it either create more clients, so more top line or more efficiency, which is more bottom line. And that's it. If it's not doing one of those two things, we're not going to do it. If we can't tie it back to one of those metrics, we don't do it. We spent a long time, not not really fluffy stuff, but kind of getting interested in the fluffy stuff. And look, I love a clever marketing campaign. I love getting involved in all of that. But if it hasn't got a good ROI, if it's not going to deliver the thing we want it to deliver, we don't have the bottomless pockets to be able to do that stuff. So we just have to focus really hard. And I think if you are clear about what your core mission is, what your core beliefs are, and what it is you are 
truly trying to achieve so really boiling it down to the core essence of what you're trying to achieve pick say two metrics i want to grow by x percent or i want to achieve x percent more my bottom line efficiency whatever it is pick those things and then focus all your activities in that direction and anything that is in that direction you have to ask yourself is it worth my time doing something else or should i be doing this other activity so you're talking like an accounting firm owner there which you are what about people that don't own their own firm they're in an employed position so they're not necessarily looking at top line or bottom line or new clients and everything else but they're developing the career they're building a personal brand what kind of things might move the dial for them it's not a dissimilar metric so top line might be more earning potential bottom line might be uh you uh, more with more with less more time with your family friends better flexible working work-life balance all that sort of stuff it's really about looking at where do you want to be so in five years time if you were to look at what you're talking about now and you've got to look back would you be disappointed with your progress or would you be happy with it would you be impressed with what you've done over the last five years or would you be realize you've been distracted or haven't focused on the right things i quite often think about this when i think about you um, further qualifications or studying or things like that is that you can do the the qualification if it's obviously if that's the right thing for you to progress your career um but we live in this world of kind of instant gratification and for a lot of people two or three years doing something feels like a really long time but those two or three years are going to pass anyway so you're either going to have the thing at the end of two years or you're not because you didn't do it now so it's just start doing it now. How do you draw a straight line between those career goals or those revenue goals and taking two days out of your calendar to go to an event like Accountex where you're doing a few panels here and there, you're not necessarily generating leads or a, a younger accountant in the trenches, if you like, may be asked to appear on a panel or do a, a social media post that takes time, but there's not a direct link between that and revenue. No, there's not. Um, in most cases, there isn't. And that goes down to, I suppose, I'm a big believer in giving back. So where you get an opportunity to give back to maybe your accounting body, your employer, your profession, other people who've maybe given you a step up along the way. Yeah, great. Do that. Do that as part of that kind of uh, you know, philanthropic side of it. But appearing on a million panels will probably not result in new business for you as an accounting firm owner, certainly not an event that is designed for accountants. Now, if you've got interesting things you're trying to share, technology, there's obviously much more of a direct correlation, say, if you're a tech vendor and speaking on a panel because you're speaking to your audience there. And maybe as an accountant, there's more um, business opportunity in speaking to uh, events where your target audience are going to be there and being on a panel there. But it's, I think it's really weighing up. Do you want to be a celebrity in the accounting world for being an accountant? And is that your most important goal? And if that is, well, then, yeah, great sit on a load of panels but if it's growing your firm you really do have to question is it the right thing for you and that's not I love Accountex I have a great time there and I do love going to events because I think the buzz you get the conversations you have the thoughts and ideas that you get to generate does have a value but if you're in that real bootstrapping phase of it's a big deal for me to take two days out of the office because I'm going to get back to a bunch of client emails and someone's going to be annoyed that I wasn't there and I've got to leave my staff on their own for two days and lord knows what they're going to do whilst i'm away that anxiety as well is also quite detrimental to you you do just really have to very carefully weigh up what is an appropriate amount of time for you to spend doing this stuff what's going to work for you and make decisions and know that you don't have to go to all of them and you will feel like you're missing out sometimes and maybe something really great happened and you didn't get to see it but something great will happen next year and maybe you'll see that instead you mentioned the word 
well, I thought it in my head as you mentioned it, there is a cost to being philanthropic. There is a cost to being a celebrity and having a cause and a crusade, which is spending time on that that might not directly be with clients. So talk to us about some of the costs of attending an event. There's obviously financial, but there's mental, physical, logistical. There's lots of things behind the scenes that we don't necessarily think of when we say yes to the original invitation. Oh, absolutely. Every time I get asked to do a keynote, I completely forget that I have to think up a keynote to do <laughs> and then spend my time. Well, I say spend my time rehearsing. It's probably thinking I'm going to rehearse it. And, I, and, and that is a mental burden because it's there in your head always. You've got a thing you know you're about to do. There are very few people that don't get nervous even a little bit going on stage. There's a cost to that. There's the obvious things you've mentioned, you know, the, the actual expense of travel, hotels, time out of the office, all that kind of stuff. But there's also the burnout cost. I was exhausted after two days at Cantex. One of my team came up for a day and she said, I was exhausted after one day. I don't know how you did too. And it's, I think as well, something that we don't put enough onus on is the loss of momentum. So when you have a day out of routine at you, something that takes up time, energy on either side of it, and you lose momentum from your day-to-day -day stuff, it's a bit like if you're in a good training cycle for running or the gym, or whatever, and then you miss a couple, you suddenly lose momentum. In real terms, it probably doesn't make that much difference to your performance, but psychologically in getting back into that momentum again is really, really hard. And that loss of momentum and loss of focus can take you much longer than the time spent at the actual event to get back back on track with. And that, that's, a, that's a huge cost, especially for a small business. How influential are the people selling the dream. I'm thinking about the event agenda, the vendor agenda. They sell you these great technology solutions and they sell it really well. And it sounds fantastic. Or oh, come to this event. It's going to be great. The networking will be excellent. Everybody will be there. It's very alluring, isn't it? Oh yeah, of course it's. No one wants to be the person not invited to the party and no one wants to be the person who missed the great party. I love a party, as you know. And, um, I, I, and you, you, you want to be there, but ultimately does it move the needle? So, uh, my business partner came up to Countex today. She had a couple of specific things she wanted to do. Uh, she's less gregarious than me, less inclined to get up on stage. And um, she had a couple of vendors she wanted to talk to and a couple of people she wanted to meet. And she had a couple of new things she wanted to go up. But she came with a list. She's like, this is what I want to do. These are the people I'm going to see. She went and then she hit them and then she left. Um, and that was very targeted and a very good way of doing it rather than kind of just aimlessly wandering around and getting very distracted by the next shiny thing. Um, if you don't know where you're going, no direction is the right direction. So you've got to plot a course at some point and stick to it for enough time to see if it works. And when we come to events and everything else, you have to bear all of that in mind. That's part of the course you've plotted. I'm thinking of the word FOMO, which you allude into a lot, but there is an opposite of FOMO, isn't it, called JOMO? You've come across that. Uh, yes, I very much have, yes. <laughs> So FOMO, the dictionary definition is that anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may currently be happening elsewhere, uh, aroused by posts sometimes seen on social media that you feel like you're missing out. But JOMO, tell us a bit about JOMO, Lucy. The joy of missing out. Um, yeah, this is where you are so comfortable with yourself that you quite happily say no to stuff. And you go, this was a great decision for me. I'm not going to go to this event. I'm going to stay at home in my pyjamas. I'm going to love every second of it. And with that, you reward yourself with the fact that you made a decision for yourself to look after yourself and you have the joy of missing out of things. It's a bit like I have uh, friends who want to go out you know, drinking or whatever and they'll say, do you want to come out drinking? And I'm like, no, I really don't. Unless there's a meal involved, I'm not going. And unless I can be home before 10 o'clock, I'm really not interested anymore, to be perfectly honest, for most of the time. And 
that's sometimes I think sometimes you get as you mature and you get older you're less inclined to maybe bow to peer pressure harder professionally sometimes because there's an economic you feel like there's an economic risk to it but yeah Jomo um I'm there for it it's a term apparently that came about to counter the always on always connected generation that are driven by that fear of missing out on an update on what's happening on someone else's life or promoting someone else's agenda. And it, it's come to signify that the joys of being alone, being unplugged, cultivating a relationship with yourself, which brings us nicely back to mental health and self-care, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's the, when you're at peace with yourself, when you know who you are and you can go after pursuits that bring you joy, uh, make you happy, you suddenly no longer feel like you have to do all this stuff just because everyone else is doing it and you're comfortable enough in your own skin that you get to be the authentic version of you. And that's warts and all. And that involves embracing all the more ugly parts of yourself, or I say ugly in inverted commas, but the parts of yourself that maybe you might not have spoken about publicly before, but form part of who you are, like anxiety and depression and anything else really. And it involves embracing all of those, accepting them as part of who you are and just being nice to yourself with them and, and, and treating yourself with the kindness that you treat a friend who said they had the same things. And it's just being, you just need to be as kind to yourself as you would to your best friend. Let's be practical to finish up here, Lucy. We'll put your LinkedIn profiles and contact details in our show notes so people can reach out to you and, and you won't say no to having a chat with them, of course. Of course not. Of course I won't. <laughs> but if we call this mental health awareness in accounting, what practical tips would you give the listeners and watchers to go away with having heard us talk about this for 30 minutes learn to say no so no is a complete sentence if you're looking at a diary and somebody is hassling you to get some time in the diary or do this thing and you're genuinely looking at your diary and going my diary is full for three weeks you probably can't do that thing and if they're saying oh, i really need to speak to you in the next couple of days well it's urgent for them let it be urgent for them if you can't do it for three weeks you can't do it for three weeks you don't you don't owe anybody squeezing in meetings at the wrong end of the day just in order to get something done to someone else's agenda dance to the beat of your own drum know what your course is only do stuff that furthers you on that course and learn to protect your peace so you might you know, give yourself limits i'm only going to do two events a month or i'm only going to do three events a year i'm only going to travel for business five times a year whatever it might be give yourself some parameters and suddenly when you kind of limit what you know you're going to let yourself do you become instantly more selective and will therefore pick things that are more suitable and better quality for you and your journey if i was going to give any practical advice it would be that in that you you can't literally do everything it's it's actually impossible so make sure the things you do are the right things for you and do those things fully wholly and purposefully and you'll reap the rewards. And I'd add to that, Lucy, that it's okay not to be okay. And Absolutely. And I'd, confiding in people in hopefully a, a blame-free, judgment-free environment, which speaks to the culture that you're in, is going to help you and the firm in the long term. Yeah, 100%. It's, um, we are much better at speaking about mental health now. And it, nobody, is, is, you know, if anyone ever said to me, no one's ever judged me when I've said, I'm not feeling great today. I just need a day with a bit of quiet. I'm going to kind of unplug a bit and just spend a bit of time. No one's ever gone, oh, you must be a terrible business person. They've gone, oh, okay, great. And that's it. So I think we fear the response more than the actual response that comes. Lucy Cohen, enlightening and inspiring. Thank you so much for your time as always. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. Sponsored by Advanced Track, 
helping you as an accountant confidently choose between outsourcing and offshoring. Mm-hmm.